Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Mulk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as writer, producer, journalist, creative, human. Not necessarily in that order. I may work at our ABC, but tweets here are mine. All mine. Humans of Twitter in, is their stories in their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's edition to the Humans of Twitter list, Natalie Long. Hello. Hello, Natalie. Thank you so much for joining us. Tell me in social settings, how do you introduce yourself? I introduce myself as quickly as possible and gloss over the, <laughs> the whole part where you talk about your profession. Is that because your profession is difficult to explain? It is. It's because for years I worked in television on-air promos and nobody seems to understand what that is and you have to spend 20 minutes explaining it at the end of which they realise they're not that interested. <laughs> Even my parents probably <laughs> still don't quite understand what it is I do. So uh, I just decided, I, I say something generic like, I work at ABC. Which is very all-encompassing and can mean many different things. What are on-air promos, Nat? Yeah, they're the trailers at the end of your favourite show that tease next week's episode or in an ad break where we tell you what, what other offerings the channel has for you to enjoy. They're ads, basically, movie trailers for the TV programs. So in a commercial TV sense, the things that get rid of the credits. Yes, the things that go inside squeeze, inside squeeze credits. That's them. In fact, I was there when they invented squeeze credits. I'm that old. What do you mean you were there? Was, it a, was there a meeting? There was. There was a meeting at Channel 7 when, when they decided we're going to do this. We're going to do it at all the major junctions across prime time and um, we're going to annoy all the shows by making their names really, really small and really, really fast so no one can see who worked on the show. I'm, I'm a little bit gobsmacked by that. <laughs> they, they were doing it ad hoc before, before the big changeover. In fact, one episode of um, one incident of squeeze credits was what convinced me that I wanted to work in promos because I was working um, at Fiji television at the time and we were on holidays in Australia with my family and I was staying mm. at an auntie's house and um, I was watching Home and Away as you do at your auntie's house and they squeezed the credits and these little mice popped up and sung the, the Home and Away theme song you know the little mice from Babe Yes. Um, and the little mice sung the Home and Away theme song and I went, that is so cool. And I said to my mum on the couch, do you think I could work for Channel 7 one day? And she said, if you really try hard. <laughs> and, then, and then I did. That's – now, that, that in itself has caused a little bit of an uproar, hasn't it? Because people that watch TV have feelings and people <laughs> that make TV have feelings about squeeze credits. This is true. But in a way, it's actually more interesting than just watching the credits roll for the viewers because you get a little tease of something else you might enjoy. We're just offering you something else you might like. Or the complete abridged highlights of tomorrow night's My Kitchen Rules Doing after the episode that you just watched. Oh, yeah. It's a, contentious, it's a contentious issue, isn't it? And it, it can be something that polarises audiences, hence why I try to gloss over it in introductions. Well, I, I can understand that. And you, you're a fan, obviously, of the squeezed credit. Oh, I mean, it does it does increase the vertical throw, flow throughout the evening evening's programming. It does deliver higher audiences to the next program rather than having people channel surf during that time when the credits are rolling. So I guess 
if you have the interests of your commercial network at heart, you are a fan of squeeze credits. And that's all I'll say. <laughs> Hang on. So it increases the vertical flow. What beyond the fact that it finishes 12 to 18 minutes later than the advertised time? Yeah, there are several methods employed to cre- increase the vertical flow. <laughs> Not saying I'm on board with all of them as a viewer. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Nat, this is, uh, is going to polarise people, this conversation. Isn't it? Did I mention that I now work for the ABC, who are not as concerned with ratings, which is a massive sigh of relief and breath, breath of fresh air. We're just interested in um, making connections with the audience and reaching different parts of the audience and not necessarily bragging about our numbers in the metro areas. Not necessarily, but taking the chance to occasionally do that. Well, having said that, over the past year when I've been looking after the news and current affairs ratings at the ABC, we've actually gone against the the trend in the commercial networks and grown audiences, (laughs) which is interesting in itself, isn't it? It is, and I can support that that's indeed the case, which is more than very interesting given that that continues to be almost the pinnacle battleground, particularly for, say, your seven and nine, who still run head-to-head at 6 o'clock. I appreciate ABC News at 7, Channel 10 run at 5, SBS do whatever the heck they want. Um, (laughs) There is – it's always – you know, they talk about from a ratings perspective, they talk about the battlegrounds, the East Coast battleground versus the rest of the country. And 7, because we all know in Perth, you can't buy a television that goes to Channel 9. They only come with 7, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Uh, and Adelaide a little bit the same, particularly at news time, although that is changing itself as well. Yeah, and, and in some times of day, Queensland are very loyal to Seven, um, particularly breakfast. Well, we that's right. It has been, though we're recording this the end of March in 2016, and something somewhat unprecedented has happened in, in just these last six to eight weeks of television viewing, and that is the, the Today Show, Sunrise's competitor, Seven's Breakfast Show, has overtaken them and won wow. every one of the ratings weeks this year. <gasps> Have I taken my eye off breakfast this year? Goodness, I should take a look at that. That's, well, when that's... you're focused on news and current affairs at the ABC, Nat, I would, wouldn't have thought that uh, the, 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 the Today v Sunrise battle was that important. Well, it is a little bit important because have you watched the slow and steady gain of ABC News breakfast? I enjoy the, uh, the lovely chats that uh, Michael and Virginia and I have. Uh, occasionally of a, a weekday morning when I'm in the country. Michael and Virginia are the quiet underachievers of the breakfast scene at the moment, I think. They're, they're, they're punching above their weight considering the, the facilities and, and the resources they have compared to the other two. Oh, yeah. Like you drop a couple of zeros off the budget that, say, Sunrise or Today have, and that's what you get for ABC News breakfast. <laughs> and don't they do a great job with what they've got? Oh, a great job. An excellent rotation of uh, contributors and, and obviously they talk about, it, you know, get some great experts when there's issues and those sorts of things. And because it's the ABC, we get to have, you know, that reasonably balanced conversation about things where it can't just be, here's an anti-vaxxer nut job that's going to say whatever they want. <laughs> and oh, next up, Nelson with the entertainment news. Yeah, you feel a bit more respected as an audience member because we'll, we'll feed you both sides of the, of the debate. Oh, that's right. They're, they're, there's balance based on the charter. And mm. does the, I would expect the charter has to uh, play into your daily role now that you work at the ABC, Nat, yes? Definitely, yeah. There's a, there's a little black folder sitting on my desk called Editorial Policies, and we refer mm. to it often. Uh, it's part of what I'm liking about being at the ABC. They do take 
balance and fairness and all of their responsibilities as a public broadcaster, they take it really seriously. And it's really, it's really refreshing. As a sidestep for a moment, if I may, just talking about the credits thing that we were before, what do you make of the TV shows that, uh, you know, show happens, then they might give the 30 second forward sell next time on, you know, insert name of show here. And then there are no credits, but instead go to URL, go to website to mm. find out more and all it is is just a list of you just get your big production and a production ender and a couple of key people i mean as someone who used to work yeah. on shows back in the day i was vision mixing wheel of fortune and big arvo and a couple of those um shows at channel seven the entertainment shows and i used to get a real kick out of being in the credits i liked it people For used sure. to you know old friends used to facebook message me and say oh, i saw your name <laughs> no, it's, it's sort of a one of the few perks of being a hardworking, low-paid crew member on those productions. I think it's actually a bit of a shame for those people. I'd, I'd be sad if I was still in that position. Has TV always been your profession? Uh, yes. Um, yeah, give or take uh, a little stint as a barmaid in the Greek islands. <laughs> uh, that was just <laughs> a travelling thing, you know what I mean? But, but basically... Yes, I knew I wanted to do it and I, I left school and got a junior job, as I said, at Fiji Television, worked with them for a bit and came back to Australia and realised that I didn't have the contacts to move into TV in Australia, so I went to I went to university and did Bachelor of Arts Television Production. In fact, I, got, I was recommended the university that I ended up going to by someone who came to Fiji to train us from TVNZ and I said yes. to him, I, I really want to work in Australian TV. What should I do? And he said, go to Wagga, go to CSU. So I'll give him a little plug on your podcast. They're called the CSU Mafia amongst TV people nowadays because mm-hmm. they used to channel so many people out and, and into the junior roles that whole shows were staffed by them. Well, Wagga and Bathurst are two real hotbeds for for media production university courses, aren't they, for some reason? Yeah, it's, it's actually unusual because you take all those people who really are looking to spend their entire careers working in metro regions, they're all going to head for the cities for jobs, and you put them out in the country for three years to, to learn the craft, and, and they end up getting, well, our class did anyway, becoming really tightly bonded because you're out in the middle of nowhere. Our university at Wagga was 10 kilometres even from Wagga, the town. So we were just in the middle of nowhere and we were just kids without cars or anything and there's nothing to do out there. So you end up bonding and making silly little videos and, and, you know, really devoting your time to learning what you're there to do because there's nothing else to do out there. So what is going to be the impact then of possible media reform that might see a pretty significant end to regional television in Australia? Yeah, I mean, I think it's sad um, for people who are wanting to practice the craft but not necessarily live in Sydney. I mean, you've even seen a drain in some areas, um, Mm -hmm. like promos, away from Melbourne. Um, You sort of struggle to think about, I'm a person that likes to move a lot actually in my youth. I, I moved around and lived in lots of different places and unfortunately I've accidentally found myself in this kind of job role that's very centralised in in the capital cities, and for for the variety of content and the and the cultural mix in the in the content, I think it's actually it's going to be 
detrimental to the the overall content to not have input from the regional areas. That's another thing that ABC does well. I'm not here as an ABC advertisement. This isn't, this isn't a sponsored podcast, but they they do actually value their their regional audiences a bit more, and, and they spend some time. I made some news promos last year, actually flying to every capital city to to feature the the hosts from those cities, including places that I would never have gone to with networks like Hobart and Canberra, you know, and Darwin places which don't really rate a mention for the commercial networks because they're centralising mm-hmm. so much. Um, but there's still an effort despite lack of funds to try to cover that with the ABC. But I think it's a shame that it's not everybody um, interested in our regional areas. You know, I think what could change that back in the other, that flow back in the other direction is if at some point we abandon the rating system and look for actual numbers I'm I'm desperate, this is one of my sort of backyard crusades, to find out surely there's a way with everybody watching television through their digital boxes and everything, real, actual, genuine ratings of how many people are watching what. And and I think that might change the flow if we saw, if we counted what the regional people are watching in our sort of, in our planning and in our estimation of what the audience wants, I think that programming would change. But don't we get that currently with Oztam in the capitals and regional TAM in everywhere else? Yeah, but it's a sampling, you know, it's a it's a sample and, and you have to, I mean, I've, I've learned a fair bit about how it works, but I still think it's mm-hmm. not the same as real numbers. You know, there's still got to be, there's got to be reasons why people would accept the box in their house and, and what kind of socioeconomic um, band of people will be willing to do that. You know what I mean? Yes. I think it's um it's still a sample and and it's not as accurate as as actual numbers. I want to see literally who turned on when and and when did they leave and try to guess why. But aren't we? But that in part that's the promo and the producer, both in you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yep. I watch the minute by minute ratings, but I'm oh. still I'm still aware it's a sample because I'm just shocked when I when I've spoken to people and when I've watched social media around shows and and then seen the resulting ratings and sometimes they just don't really tally up and very disproportionate sometimes, isn't it? And I know that the market broadly, television in Australia, have tried to counter that by bringing in uh, the Twitter the Nielsen Twitter ratings yeah. that are meant to be reflective of, well, social media was talking about it this this much. So from a social media perspective, this show won the Twitter ratings, yes. but that has almost fallen away inside six months from launching. But it gives you some insight into audiences out there who are really, really engaged with programs. Like often Channel 10 are blitzing mm. those, um, the Twitter ratings because they have yes. really good sort of extra show material, you know, made for social material and, and, on their websites and, and Twitter interaction, that's a whole market there, which, I mean, that's valuable to advertisers and, and um, has shown a strength for a network which was coming forth not that long ago. Mm. So, I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a great development. Um, I'd like to see more of that. The new, the new digital, um, oh, sorry, video uh, player measurement ratings that mm. have just started this year. Um, add to that a little bit, but we lose the demographic side of it, don't we? It's just about did you play it or not? Of eyeballs, yeah. mm. which I mean, it's good information, but I think we can I think we can get more specific. 
But uh, yeah, I mean, revolutionised TV. It's really important to be counting your things, like not only delayed plays, but through the um, you know the various catch up services. But I mean, let's mm. start counting plays on Netflix and Stan, and rather than subscriber numbers, let's see how many people watched Orange Is the New Black. That would be very interesting and marvelous if they would let us know. Mm. I mean, do they have that information? They must. Oh, the businesses do. Stan yeah. Presto Netflix absolutely have that information, but that somewhat understandably is fairly commercial incompetence kind of detail. Yeah. I guess they'd only release it if they had commercial incentive to do it, if they wanted to play pre-roll ads or something. And because we're paying for it, there's no real incentive to do that. And the differential is that Netflix is a global game, you know? So a show X may not rate well in Australia. Oh, it's a failure. But hello, uh, Europe really well, picked it up. So take a look at Wentworth. It's not we... even available on our Netflix here, but it's going great guns in America. And it's made here. That's because of deals and output things and stuff. Yeah. Oh, stuff. Um, and, so... and Netflix, to their credit, have said now that they're in 98% of countries around the world, uh, that they're when they pick up new shows now by buying new shows, they're only interested in buying global rights. They don't want to buy regional rights for shows. Oh, great. So that will that will start to change even incrementally over the next 12 months. I wonder if that retrospectively applies to programs they've already got an ongoing relationship with. I know they would be seeking them, that's for sure. Because I'm finding having trouble finding where to watch Wentworth. I don't, I don't well, really want to subscribe to Presto just for it, particularly when it doesn't stream from my iPad to the television. You could get a Foxtel, is it Go subscription? Their digital only thing. Yeah, you have to watch it on your iPad though. You can't, uh, you can't use Apple. Uh, what do you call it? You know, oh. AirPlay. It, it won't won't support AirPlay to go to my big telly. That is correct. However, I would expect very very soon you will see on Telstra TV a Foxtel Go app. Oh, that's a game changer. Well, it it, it it makes a lot of sense for Foxtel too because the expensive installation of equipment and, oh. you know, IQ management and all of those sorts of things, if they can just say we're doing away with the hardware stuff or minimizing that part of the business and yeah. you just use your internet and get all of your stuff here and call it cloud recording or anytime catch-up stuff to see the things that you missed. Yeah, that, they're, that they're would be a game changer regard, because they've got a huge library. It removes a lot of their costs and hassle, the perceived hassle of having it installed. Oh, and, and the PR nightmare of just launching the IQ3, which came late, has been buggy, which to, to their defence, the IQ2 wasn't such a great box when it first launched, but social media wasn't as prevalent. So they were able to get updates out and fix things sort of under Before people noticed. <laughs> Well, before people had the chance to complain to everyone else about it. Um, mm. So, anyway. Anyway, we digress. <laughs> Do you mind if I ask uh, about your, your travel bug vibe? You yeah. mentioned that when you were younger that you, you got around a bit. Was, yeah. was that a, a family decision? A little bit. My family moved around sort of my dad was a policeman when I was young and so he took postings mm-hmm. around Australia and then he ended up working for the Department of Immigration and getting overseas postings. Oh, wow. And I went with them on a couple of those and really enjoyed myself and then I, I took little side trips. I went, um, my parents were living in Greece for a little while and um, I was at dinner at their house and and 
my dad brought a friend home from work who was over in Greece for business from the Israeli-Australian embassy. And he said, what are yes. you doing? And I said, I'm just working in a bar, you know, it's pretty boring. And he said, oh, you should come to Israel. I thought, you know what, I should. So the next day I bought a ticket and went over there. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I got very heavily interrogated at the um, airport because I bought a Tel Aviv ticket, a, um, what do you call it, an El Al ticket to Tel Aviv with cash yeah. the day before I left. And um, when, oh, I, when I get to the airport, they took me to an interview room and said, you know, why do you want to go there? And I said, oh, someone described the place to me. It just sounds lovely and I'd like to go. And he said, do you know anyone in Israel? And I made the mistake of saying, um, yes, yes, I met him yesterday. He's called Abdul. Oh, <laughs> and so then they took my mum into a separate interview room. <laughs> and, yeah, it was, oh. it was quite I mean, it was innocent enough, but I guess it sounded suspicious and uh, they've got to take care of security. Yeah. Um, I said, oh, no, I met a nice man yesterday. He's called Abdul and he's meeting at me at the airport. <laughs> but it was all Gosh. legit and he was very nice and he did meet me at the airport, but um, it was a story that rang their alarm bells. Wow. You, I mean, uh, this is my lack of knowledge around international relations and stuff. As a family member for someone who worked for the Department of Immigration, did mm. that not give you special passport or access stuff? Yeah, I had a page in the front of my passport that said I was a dependent of him, but um, it didn't seem to make any difference. <laughs> Although, actually, it did. I lie. I mean, who cares in there? Yeah, they, they need to protect their, their airline and their citizens sort of no matter what. Um, but I did receive an apology and I was treated very nicely on the way home. And I think that could be because of a call that my dad made. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Now, what can't you tolerate? What can't I tolerate? Being separated from my mobile phone. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm a mobile phone addict um, for, for several years, probably more than a decade. Oh, I'm having my mobile phone anniversary this year. I've had the same number yes. for 20 years. I got wow. this mobile number in 1996 when I finished high school. And I'm aging myself in public there, aren't I? Um, <laughs> a little, not much. Anyway, um, 20 years I've had the same mobile phone number, but I've had a second phone at most times in my adult life, which sort of comes and goes and changes number. But my my ideal situation is to have two phones on different networks just so that you've got coverage and everywhere and everything's squared away when your battery goes flat and whatnot. I'm a mobile phone yes. addict. You don't think that a dual SIM phone with yeah. two separate networks would help solve the problem? Thought about it, except how many times is it a battery issue or an OS issue or some kind of handset issue that, in fact, then would put both your lines down? True. Though it, for me, it's it's only ever been a power issue. It's only ever been that I've run out of the powers. Mm, um, the powers are a really big problem at the moment. I just spent the weekend at a music festival and... At yes. least once a day I found myself sitting outside the, outside the toilets on the ground next to the only power outlet I could find charging my phone because I was being a social media ambassador and um, I needed to post all day long from my little iPhone, which just kept conking out. You don't, you don't carry like chargeable battery things and stuff? Yeah, I carry one little stick and it'll give the phone about half a charge, which is enough to make a couple of calls. But when you – I was – taking a lot of photos, editing a lot of photos, posting a lot, you know, I was really using it heavily and I just it didn't cut it, unfortunately. But I do need to look at a better solution because 
it's not that pleasant outside the toilet in a festival. <laughs> it's almost a deterrent from charging, isn't it? Yeah, totally. <laughs> but as we said, it's, I couldn't tolerate going without it, so it had to happen. It's it's crazy, isn't it? 2016, we've managed to shrink the internet into a palm-sized supercomputer, but yep. we just can't power it. It's amazing, isn't it? I've almost thought, because I, I often marvel to people, I'm, I'm getting old, I'm starting to say, I can't believe all of my CDs are on this one little gadget. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and my movie collection, my DVDs are on here too. And um, and But I'm starting to consider carrying a separate iPod, carrying a separate, you know, point-and-shoot camera, carrying all of the things that it can do. I often actually do carry an iPad to access the internet so that I can preserve the battery on my phone. It's it's the one thing I would change about phones at the moment. I'd be happy to. I'd be happy to carry something twice as thick um, if it had enough power to do all the things it claims it can do. You know, you can get cases that are have built-in batteries. Also, batteries. Yeah, Mophie cases. So I've I've done yeah. that in the past. Um, yeah, I mean, mobile technology sort of flows in and out of my life so quickly that I've often got a various combination of things going on. And I have tried the Mophie <laughs> cases, but I'm the kind of person that will also wear through that in a day. I'm not going to lie. It's shameful, but I'll go all the way through my phone battery and all the way through a Mophie case before it's time to go home. Carry a second case, sister. <laughs> You're on to it. Do you want to hook me up? Dear Mophie, oh, I'll be your yeah, social media ambassador. Mophie. We will do all that you need us to do. Just give us mini cases. Send the cases thing that kills me, urgently. Oh, the thing that kills me is is not only that, but it's that then the ever changing shape. Now I don't change phones regularly; probably every two years at best. Um, but that, of course, then means a replacement of a new Mophie case. I shouldn't complain. It's not that expensive when you consider the return on investment, but still. It's true. Everything needs to happen new. Everything's slightly different and not compatible. And I've got a problem with my, my iPad's still going strong after three years, which is about as old as technology gets in my life, but the case is falling apart. And I went into the Apple store and I said, I'd like a new case. And the guy looked down his nose at me because of how old apparently my iPad is. He said, oh, we don't sell those anymore. Wow. So, that was nice. Yeah. Basically he offered to trade it in for me. They'd give me a hundred dollars for my iPad against the $1,100 on the new one. Well, I'm just going down that. Now that they've just released new iPad models, my iPad mini generation one is needing a replacement. So I've pulled together all of the leftover bits of Apple technology in my house <laughs> and I'll be trudging off to the ice to, to the Apple store to see what trade-ins they'll give me and what net result discount I'm then going to end up with off a new um, smaller iPad Pro. I guess if you've got several several items, you might be able to jimmy something up. Do you think that they'll ever re re release an iPad Mini Pro so that you can use the Apple Pencil on a Mini? Would you um, be interested in that? I hope not. I, I Don't get me wrong. I've loved the, the Mini. I, it's really suited me well. But as I've gotten a bit older, it's just felt a bit too small sometimes. Mm. Like I've toyed with going up to the big Super 12, whatever it is, inch Apple, the, the first Pro, and I've touched it and felt and went, mm. wow, this looks pretty amazing in my, you know, because I, I preview a lot of TV and stuff on it. That would be mm. incredible. And then I went, yeah, but lugging that thing around internationally is just fraught with crack screen danger. Yeah, it's a Targus backpack uh, situation. Yeah, and I already have like a, a MacBook Pro and a whole bunch of other things and everything yeah. in a backpack. I don't need another thing. So a normal-sized, air quotes, normal-sized iPad 
that has all of the uh, the iPad Pro features with the pencil, I think, is going to be Malk's next weapon of choice. Oh, drum roll. Let us know how it goes. Yeah. Oh, the only question was then how big do I need it? Do I go, you know, do I mortgage the house and get the 256 gigabyte one or just get the oh. 128? Oh, it's, it's oh don't you use Dropbox and everything now anyway? I mean, everybody's got their mm. stuff on a cloud somewhere. Well, that, and, and I, you know, persevered and got like my first gen mini is, is a cellular model. Oh, you know, put the yeah. SIM in it and off you go. And I now just go, I hardly ever used that feature such that if I ever want to get on the internet, because after the mini came out, they then introduced the ability to hotspot on your phone. Mm. I don't need my mini to get on the internet ever. I had this conversation, this very conversation with someone at the festival. But do you want to be running down your phone battery and your iPad battery for a single internet connection? I'm never going to be in a position where that's a big deal. Mm, fair enough. Like, they'll, if they if that's the situation, they'll both be really charged, and I'll deal with one, you know, going down, or I'll find the PowerPoint near the toilet. Yeah, yeah, go for it. See, I'm a very geeky person, but I, I'm I'm also aware that we're probably boring your listeners to death. <laughs> <laughs> this Does is the everybody most care which model of iPad we are both going to buy next? I'm thinking possibly thumbs down. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> well. Welcome to the First World Problems podcast. Yeah. Part two, you can rejoin us here if you're not that interested in which model of iPad we both use. What's the most exciting or dangerous thing you've ever done, Nat? Oh, exciting or dangerous. Um, I guess it would be my little solo trip to Israel when I was about 19, off to the border near Lebanon where I could <laughs> see the bombs flashing at night. That was pretty dangerous. Wow. Um, I've also done a couple of, you know, your – holiday sort of I jumped off the Auckland Sky Tower base jumped off or whatever but I mean I was talking about this with someone the other day those sort of perceived adventure sports the actual danger involves actually fairly low the the safety mm. harnesses and the people briefing you and all of the sort of OHS procedures the video you have to watch before and all that kind of thing make it actually pretty low risk even though it feels exciting you're probably in more danger driving home on the freeway yeah, the minute that you finish doing the uh, said adventure sport, hand them, you know, they give you the photo and you take two steps off the curb and get hit by a car. Precisely. Yeah, everyday activities, I'd say, are probably the most dangerous thing I do. <laughs> Drive my car <laughs> around Sydney. <laughs> oh, Sydney can be nightmarish. What challenges you, Natalie Long? Oh, that's a good question. Um I guess trying to decide what to do next. I'm not a very decisive person. I'm a Libra, if you believe in that kind of thing. And there, I see so many possibilities for, you know, in everything, work sense, holiday sense. There are just so many choices that sometimes I get overwhelmed and can't decide what to do next. And sometimes that results in inactivity. If I can't decide what to do for the weekend, I may end up just binging on TV at home instead because I can't decide what else to do. There's, there's too many possibilities in the world and sometimes I get overwhelmed by them all. You would make choices at some point though. Yes, sometimes they just come to me, you know. I just wait back until, until people invite me on adventures or people offer me jobs or, you know, the adventures come to me. Do you prefer adventures over planned outings? Probably because sometimes, you know, if you plan to do something 
aside from just wishing something, like kind of wishing I could work for Channel 7 and then accidentally ending up doing it, I don't like to map things out too carefully because to me, if I, if I made a 10-year plan and I decided then I'll go to university, then I'll get an entry-level job, then, you know, all of that, it, executing mm-hmm. it would be boring because I basically know what's going to happen. So I have to trick yep. myself into thinking we don't know what's going to happen here <laughs> and just steer myself in the general direction but not get too wrapped up in the plan because otherwise it feels like legwork to just get it done. I have to trick myself into being excited about it. What's the source of satisfaction then? Looking back and realising that I've accidentally done the things I wanted to do. <laughs> 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 but it's both surprise and satisfaction. <laughs> it's great. I um, I actually, I used to, I used to go with this story. My my own personal narrative was that I accidentally came into TV because I couldn't really remember. You know, getting old, as I keep mentioning. Um, I remember being introduced to someone at Fiji Television and having a job interview, and then I ended up staying there till 10 o'clock that night of the job interview. They said, when can you start? And I said, how about now? And I did stay until late into the night to the point where my parents rang and said, are you okay? Like, (laughs) you seem to have not come home from your interview. Um, (laughs) And the building was air-conditioned. It's really, really hot over there, and and the building was air-conditioned. So I just went there all the time. I'd wake up and go down there, and then I'd, you know, leave there at night when it's already cooler and go home and go to sleep. And my my story was, I lived in Fiji. It was so hot that I decided to go to the TV station because it was air-conditioned. And then a couple Hmm. of weeks ago, I was clearing out some old junk at my parents' house in a box, and I found all these letters I'd written when I was in year 12 to various TV stations asking them for an entry-level job because I remember thinking of something fun that I wanted to do and and reading advice in a column that was probably a, a teenage magazine that you can either – you can either go to university or you can work your way up from the bottom. And I remember thinking, oh, I just want to get started. I want to work my way up from the bottom. So I sent out probably a dozen letters to all of the channels and some mm. production companies, Grundies and um, beyond, all those people. And they all wrote back very polite, encouraging d- decline letters, rejections. Um, but I, I was, I was, had, I did have my mind set on that from the very beginning. And then I forgot about it and then I accidentally got it. See how it works? It is the Natalie Long story. It's the Natalie Long method. It's it's <laughs> more than that Natalie Long story. It's marketable. It's the method. If you aren't standing with a Madonna headset mic in front of a room full of rapid-looking <laughs> people trying to get into TV, convincing them of the Natalie Long method in five years, then you've done you've taken a misstep. Oh no. No, I'm not gonna stand in front of the room. I'm just gonna sell them my ebook. I'll put a link on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Yeah. What reality TV show would you love to star in? Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, I would never, I'll tell you what I won't star in. Nothing to do with cooking. In nothing. <laughs> no cooking shows. Nothing to do with cooking or renovating. Um Is that because of production experience or you're just not interested uh, in the media? I just you know, I hate cooking and I basically eat takeaway all the time unless my partner cooks, um, luckily for me. Um, I, just, <laughs> I can't cook. I couldn't be bothered with it. The effort involved for the result just doesn't tally up for me. And so I can't think of anything more boring than making my own dinner except for watching someone else make their dinner. I mean, I just I can't understand how that's interesting. <laughs> Um, yeah, no cooking. I think I'd want to go on Dancing with the Stars because I, I did a little bit of work on the promos for Dancing with the Stars and, and everybody seems to have a really good time. They really, everybody who goes on the show is converted. They love it. They have fun. They get skinny. They love it. 
I'd be on Daphne with the stars. <laughs> You'd be part of the problem, Nat. <laughs> yeah. Good luck to my partner, whoever that will be. <laughs> uh, what is? Are you a two left feet person? Ah, uh, you know, it's been a long, long time since I was a little girl in pink ballet shoes. A oh, long time. Weren't we all? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Weren't we all, were we? I don't know. Tell me, Mog. <laughs> Tell me about yeah, your ballet maybe, past. Did you ever wear not tights? About me. It's not about me. Mog in tights. Oh, it's the thing that people, nobody wanted to think of. Yeah, sorry, audience. Again, first it was which iPad, now it's, um, yeah, many tights. Moving on. <laughs> What are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? Hmm, Well, I'm just about to start a new job. So I'm taking my skills from television, within television, to the online world. I'm I'm working for the digital division in video for ABC Mm. Current Affairs, um, making, telling their stories with video in a digital environment because um, I've just spent years and years watching TV ratings decline and everyone's scratching their head and everybody's furrowing their brow and not really sure what to do. Um, But in myself, I feel like, unfortunately, as nostalgic as I feel for TV and and as much as I love it, the medium of of linear broadcast is probably on its way out. People are looking to, Mm -hmm. I mean, they're still going to be entertained by video. They'll still be watching shows. I'm not I'm not, you know, heralding the death of television, but delivery is changing and video on social and video on the web um, is how people are heading to consume it. And so I want to get involved in the telling of stories in that way. So I'm heading to tell ABC Current Affairs stories with video online. Great. So it's like a desk change. Yeah, (laughs) I'm just going down to a different level. But um, I think the approach will be different. The way that what people are looking for when they click is a bit different to when they're just sort of sitting on the couch passively consuming. Mm. Mm. It's interesting times ahead. You get to spend a lot more time with Jeremy Fernandez. Uh, Totally. I love that guy. He's such a beautiful boy. Um, He's a trooper actually. He did a promo for me last year when he wasn't feeling well at all and he was such a trooper. Um, but There's yeah, excellent bodies there. We'll be hanging out. Um, but yeah, I've got a lot to learn in in the in those in that area though. I've got to learn about content management and SEO keywords, and I've got lots of learning to do in the next twelve months. When you work out how SEO works, and and I say this, um, noting that along a good friend of mine, Josh Withers, has tried to teach me more than once. <clears throat> When you work out how SEO works, please tell me because I still don't get it. Oh, gosh. Oh, no. It's daunting, isn't it? It just, I, I just put, it's just words. It still makes no sense. Yeah. I'll let you know. I'm surprised anyone finds anything I do because the SEO is very useless. You can hire people in India to do it, but I don't think that's legit if it's your actual job like mine. But I mean, if you want to get more people to look at your podcast, I'm pretty sure you can grab someone a remote virtual assistant to do it for you perhaps <laughs> i'm ashamed I'm to sure say I, I, just... I have employed a remote virtual assistant to transcribe interviews um for print work you know when i want to look back at my interviews on paper you can send it off and someone will transcribe it for you no yeah. harm in that I, i'm sure i could even go to somewhere online and get and pay them to download my my podcast a few hundred thousand times oh is that like buying twitter followers how does that work yeah. I think it's just a case of there are farms of people who every day click like, you know, create fake accounts, download all of the things. They do the things. What a weird job that would be. 
What would you? How would you introduce yourself in a social setting if that was your job? I like things on Facebook. I follow. People I work on for Twitter. the internet. I work. Yes. Weird. Hey Nat. Yeah. Thank you so much for for chatting with me today. I really appreciate your time. No problem. I hope it was of interest to you. <laughs> it was of great interest, I'm sure, to more than just me. Cool. Please know the things you just said today are, are very special and you're highly valued. Thank you so much. Thank you. I've had fun. Obviously, you are a, a tweeting kind of person. Are there other social accounts that you want to admit or even uh, alert us to? You know, I've just created a new Instagram account because the one I was using was it was set to private. It's, it's just for sort of family and friends and silly little pictures of my dinner. But I've just started Instagramming under the same handle that I tweet at. So I'm at Natty Longshot on Instagram, which is the same as Twitter. So it's easy for people to find me. How very brand centric. <laughs> and you can go there now and find over 50 photos of the National Folk Festival from the weekend just been. It was very beautiful and I got carried away. Were in between your charging cycles. Yeah, well, that's yeah, exactly. That was actually probably the cause of most of them. This has been Humans of Twitter and I can confirm that at Natty Longshot is indeed human. True story.